Today, we're going to open with the story in Acts chapter 3. You remember Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He's walking and he's on his way uh, to the gate beautiful. And chapter 3, verse 5. It says, so the man gave his attention, because Peter looked at him, he says, gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold have I not, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Uh, If we grew up in church, we've probably heard this story before, one of the fun miracles in the Bible. And Peter said something I want to focus on today. He said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. Now, we've been focusing on how to live a supernatural Christian life. So, Peter was obviously living a supernatural Christian life. When he said, what I have, what was he talking about? What did Peter have? Well, Peter had faith in a God who can heal. And you know... A lot of Christians have faith in a God who can heal. You know what else Peter had? Peter had confidence that God wanted to heal. Peter also had confidence that God would heal. Now, many of us believe God can heal, Some of us believe God wants to heal. And most of us are still working on the confidence that he will in a situation like that. And I want to look and say, how do we do that? Peter had a different perspective of God than the average Christian, than the average person. How did Peter view God? Chapter 15 of John, verse 15, says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. This is what Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is some of what Peter was told by Jesus. He said, go out there and bear fruit. So when, Jesus, or when Peter went out there and said to him, I have something, he was remembering what Jesus had said. Jesus had told him, you're not just my servant, you're my friend. Because I tell you what the Father has shown me. I interact with you. It is important. 
My, my brain is thinking in Spanish. Sumamente importante. Which means extremely important that we recognize that God desires a relationship with us. Acts chapter 17, 23 through 27. I've said it many times, I'll say it again. It's one of my favorite sections, little passages in the Bible. Because Paul went somewhere that knew nothing about God. And he took a moment to describe to a bunch of people who knew nothing about God who God was in a nutshell. And this is what he said. The God who made the world and everything in it. Well, let, let me go. I'm going to back up to verse 3 or 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul explains, you don't, I'm starting from the beginning. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands. In other words, this God doesn't need something from you, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places that they should live. God did this so that. This is the part that I like so much. What is the this that God did? The this is everything. Yeah, he created the world from nothing. He created all people out of one couple. And he did that so, he did this so that men would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This when Paul started from scratch, this was his main point. He wanted people to understand. And if we as Christians don't live from this truth, we're going to miss out. God does it all because he wants relationship with us. Everything he did, he did it so that we would reach out to him. Many of us have what I would characterize as kind of an Old Testament view of who God is. We think of Him as rituals, as rules. But God is described by Paul as someone who does, did it all just to have relationship with Him. In the Old Testament, we were shown what it would take to be right before God on our own. And it wasn't enough. None of us can do everything it would take to be righteous by ourselves. But in the New Testament, Jesus came. James 2, 23 says it this way. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and this was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now remember, we started out talking about being God's friend. 
This is what it takes. In order to be God's friend, you have to be righteous. And I don't mean surfer righteous. I mean biblical righteous. So, what does biblical righteous mean? It's an adjective that means morally upright without guilt or sin. Therein lies the problem. Most of us feel, recognize, look at ourselves and say, I am not perfect. I have sin. I have guilt. But in the New Testament, God doesn't just start accepting sin. However, He found a way to make sin no longer the deciding issue. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This was the plan. There is sin. I'll come in. I'll take it away. I'll make it not the issue. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cross made sin irrelevant. Committing sin still has negative effects on our lives, but it does not need to separate us any longer from God. Many of us live with an understanding that, yes, whatever my sin did to keep me from going to heaven, I understand that is gone. But we still think, I don't know if God heard my prayer because, you know, what I did yesterday, the day before, the day before that. I don't know if God would use me to, to heal someone because, you know, that thought that I had, that thing that I did. We, we understand that, yeah, my, my sin was forgiven and I'm no longer on my way to hell. But in order to recognize what we have in order to walk like Peter did and to be able to see someone and say, what I have, I will give to you. We have to understand and comprehend that we have the righteousness of God in Christ. What does that mean? That means not only are my sins forgiven, but... God does not view me in the light of those sins. He, yes, He's letting me into heaven, but when He looks down at me and when he, he sees me as a friend, Abraham made mistakes. If you've read the Old Testament, he did some dumb things. But you know what? God said that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness and therefore he was God's friend. That's you and I. We need to acknowledge and, and receive the understanding 
that we are right with God. There's a story in John chapter 8. It's in verses 3 through 11. The Pharisees found a woman in adultery. Listen to this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. You've probably heard someone else point out, how many people does it take to commit adultery? Two. How many people did they bring before Jesus? One. Where's the dude? Anyway, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And the scripture makes it clear. It says they were using this question as to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. They figure, hey, if he says to stone this woman, everyone will be upset. If he says don't, well, then we can catch him breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When he kept on they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has, is no one to condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. Such a fun story. First of all, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. So what did he scratch in the, in the ground? I've always thought, especially since they seemed to leave in an orderly fashion, it says the oldest to the youngest, that he just started with the oldest and was like, you know, a name, and then looked at him. And he was like, yeah, I'm not the one without a, without a sin. An address, looks at the next guy. You know, just something, a reminder that they too had sin. And they just, one by one, said, nope, not me, and they left. Here's the thing. She was a sinner. And you know, none of those people were going to throw the stone. But you realize Jesus could have? He had no sin. He could have thrown the first stone. But he didn't. You see, that is not his heart. You and I are just like her. Yeah, he wants us to live a life free from our sin. His encouragement is, go, leave your, your life of sin. But your sin doesn't change how he sees you. He desires a relationship with you. He is not counting that sin against us. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, a word I have never used outside of the, bio, of the church. 
that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What does that word mean? In the dictionary, it says to reestablish a close relationship between, to settle or resolve, to bring oneself to accept, to make compatible or consistent. This is it. God's purpose was not just to forgive our sins. See, I think most of us understand, yep, my sins are forgiven. When I die, I'm going to heaven. But we still feel guilty in God's eyes. When we think about our relationship with God, when we pray, we're uncomfortable believing that God's going to hear and take action based on my prayer because why? Because I, I'm not worthy. No, you're not. But that's not the point. That woman who had just committed adultery like minutes earlier, she wasn't worthy. But God was not judging her on that. The Bible says, verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. My righteousness, my right standing is not based on my behavior. It is my belief in what he has done. When I accept what he has done, then I am righteous. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And here's the thing. If we are no longer unrighteous, then regardless of our past or our present, we are able to be friends with God. My goal for this message is that those of us who have accepted salvation but kept this murky cloud of guilt in between us and God would realize, because of all these scriptures that we're reading, that God is not holding my sins against me. He sees me as the righteousness of God in Christ, I have as much access to God as Peter had. When I pray, it is not contingent, the it being God's hearing of my prayer, God's desire to answer my prayer, does not hinge on my past perfection. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has to go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they rejected the forgiveness of their sins. They rejected Jesus Christ. He has removed that barrier. We can be friends with God. Cicero said of friendship, he said, is the only thing the world all agrees is useful. We recognize that friendship is useful. Proverbs 18.24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've been talking about how to walk a supernatural Christian life. I don't believe that a supernatural Christian walk is within my grasp if I do not understand God's view of me. If I am stuck believing that there is still distance between me and God, that He is judging me for my past imperfections, and that He is waiting to use someone who's more perfect than me, to bless someone more qualified than me, to be used or to use someone more spiritual, educated, than me. We're not going to get there. I want to think about how the friendship we have with Jesus, which is what the, Paul's, or yes, Paul, Paul said is the point we were created for. That's the whole point. Jesus created the world, made every nation, all the people in it, so that we would reach out and be in relationship, in friendship with Him. Friends are open with each other. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, you can only be as true of a friend as your knowledge of that friend allows. If they don't let you in, you don't know. Jesus is the truest friend of all. He opens up. We judge our friends by their deeds. When someone is willing to step out on a limb for us, we say, oh, hey, that's my friend. Who has stepped farther out than he who gave his life for us. You know, there's, there's a saying that says, give to a man 19 times, but deny him the 20th and he'll despise you. If you have to buy your friends, that's not true friendship. A friend seeks relationship with you independent of what you can give them. The Bible says when we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He gave to us when we brought nothing. I think there's a hymn that says, Nothing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. God, God is the truest of friends. It takes time to prove a friendship. Well, my kids just started school again. There are new kids in their class. They're making friends. You know, I love how my kid will come home and say, I have a new friend. We met him like six hours ago. As adults, we usually reserve that word a little bit more. We're going to wait. You know, I met somebody. We'll see. There might be a friendship here. Jesus, on the other hand, how long has he loved us? Before the foundation of the world, he knew us. The Bible says before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. A friendship based on ignorance can be wishful thinking. Many people believe that they've made a friend, then they learn a little bit more, and then they back out. Some people get married, learn a little bit more, and back out. Here's the thing. There's nothing God can learn about you that he doesn't already know. Think about that for a second. There is nothing. There is nothing more we can do that would turn God off towards having a friendship with us. He created us. He knew every mistake we would make from the beginning. He says, I want relationship with you. That's what I want. Oh, and nothing you did are doing or will do is going to change my mind because I knew about it ever since the beginning. His perspective of us is not based on what we've done. It's based on who He created us to be. You know, parents are amazing at like seeing past the flaws in their own kids. You ever noticed that? You know, you, you, you see some, and, they're do, and the parents are like, oh, oh, it's not that bad. Why? Because parents see their kids, not for the mistakes they're making right now, but for the potential that they know they have. This is how God sees you and I. He says, I'm not, hey, I died on the cross so that none of your mistakes had to matter. I love you. God can't get any richer. You can't grow so poor that his perspective of you would change. God desires relationship with us. Here, here is my challenge. As I've, each week, I keep going and I just pray. I say, God, 
We desire to walk in, in supernatural power. We desire to live the kind of Christian walk that you want us to have. Help me to, to, to find what, what would you like us to learn? How can we grow? How can we better walk in this walk? And this week, this is what I felt God say to me. He said, my church needs to understand that I see them as friends. So many of us are like, yep, God, God forgave me of my sin. I know I'm going to heaven. And it's like, that's all we think we got. And, and we would never dare to be as bold as Peter was. Why? Because we don't understand what Peter understood. We don't recognize that we have what Peter recognized he had. We aren't just forgiven so that we can go to heaven someday. We are forgiven so that we can have a relationship with God right now. As I grow in that relationship, as I walk before his throne, as I pray, no longer concerned that he is judging me for my mistakes, but acknowledging that he's loving me for who he made me to be, and he wants to hear from me. And when I make mistakes, he sees me as his own little child and says, oh, get up. Get back up. Let's keep going. The Bible says that the righteous man doesn't say, this is the thing, Remember what righteous means? Righteous means without guilt. But then the Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times. Do you realize what that's saying? It says the guiltless person makes mistakes. But the guiltless righteous person gets back up. What a relief. God didn't expect me to be perfect. He wants me to know that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven. What, what would it look like tomorrow morning when I wake up and I open the Bible for devotions if I did not feel separated by guilt from God, how would I pray? If I realized that my sins are just as forgiven as the disciple Peter's sins were, that I am just as worthy of friendship with Jesus as the disciple Peter is, how would that change the way that I dare to pray? When I realize 
God doesn't just want me in heaven someday. He wants me now. He wants relationship with me now. He's hoping I'll speak to him tonight. He's hoping that I will pray today, tomorrow. He's hoping that I will know him well enough that when I walk around and I see something that I know he doesn't agree with, I can say, like Peter said, hey, I know what God wants to do here. Oh, I mean, here's the thing. As soon as, as, soon as we say that, so many of us, we have a habit of just thinking, oh, that might work for you, but would it work for me? Yes. That's the point. Yes. Say this with me. God wants my friendship. I am righteous. What does it mean? Say this with me. I am guiltless. See, that word means more. We've said righteous so many times, it just rolls off, and we're just willing to, to hear, hey, we're good. Guiltless. That's what it means. I am guiltless in God's eyes. Wow. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would quicken this reality in each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that in whatever area we have consistently felt undeserving, unforgiven, unqualified. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would remind us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, I ask that each and every person here would have a renewed understanding of what it means to be the friend of God. Lord, I pray that you would use us. Use us to show your love. Use us to be light in the dark, to be salt on the earth. Lord, we thank you that it does not require our perfection, just our trust, that you meant what you said and you have forgiven us. I thank you for it. If you're here today and you did not know that the forgiveness of your sin was available, today is your lucky day. You see, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, 
we will be saved. Saved from what, you might ask? Saved from the sin that separated us from God. Saved from the guilt of being imperfect. You see, Jesus died on the cross having been perfect. He took the punishment for our sin so that no punishment need come on us if we just accept and believe. That's what he says. So if you're here or there and you would like to pray and receive that forgiveness, I'm going to invite everyone to just pray out loud. And when we finish and say amen, God promises that our past will be gone, that we will be forgiven. The Bible describes it as white as snow. Let's pray. Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he did not deserve to die, but I did. I recognize that he forgives me and that he rose from the dead. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.